So before we get started on my sermon for this morning, I want to say thank you. And, and specifically, thanks uh, for your incredible financial support that you gave us as we ended the year 2020. We had a tremendous December, way better than we had anticipated, and it helps us to move into 2021 in a very strong position. As you may recall, we took a, the elders decided to just do a six-month budget, even though we're in a fiscal year, but to just budget in a conservative way from July through December and kind of see how things go and then reconsider those numbers. And um, as we wound up going through December, we, we came in a position better than we had anticipated and uh, we had reduced it by 10%. We didn't, we didn't get to that, which is great. And, and so as we move into 2021, we still want to take a conservative posture. And so the elders last weekend approved another six month budget that'll carry us through the, the rest of the fiscal year from January through June. And it makes the same assumptions. It assumes a 10% decrease in income, which is a possibility. We didn't have that happen last year, but but we want to be conservative in that regard. We've also reduced our program budgets by about 20%, uh, which is what we did the last six months as well. And and even those last six months, the program budgets still came in under budget. So we feel that this is a safe place to be for now. Uh, but as you also know, and as we shared, that, that part of our goal is to be able to hire some new staff. And so your generosity allows us to begin to think through um, what it's going to look like as the vaccines roll out and as we hopefully by the fall of 2021 are able to engage again and, and be in community together. And there's some staff positions that uh, that we wanna be able to consider. One of the things that we are moving ahead with and was approved by our elders uh, is hiring a technical director. This was something that was actually approved last March and then COVID hit and we put that job search on hold. But as you all are aware, COVID has simply accelerated uh, the importance of having a digital presence. And so this is a hire that we think is going to be very important for our church as we continue to think through uh, what does it look like to do ministry online as well as what does it look like to do ministry in person. So on behalf of the elders and our staff, I just wanna say thank you for your incredible generosity in December and through the first six months of our fiscal year. So speaking of December 2020, uh, do you know where you were on the evening of December 21st, 2020? Now, many of you may not really call it exactly what that was, but uh, if you looked to the southwest sky right after the sun had set, you were able to see what is often called the Bethlehem star or the star of Bethlehem when Saturn and Jupiter basically align and come so close that there's this bright light in the sky. And so I, of course, wanted to go out and look at it and take some pictures of it. My iPhone didn't do a great job of taking pictures, so I made my son Micah come up uh, to our deck and take some pictures of that and, and, and just to kind of look to the sky and, and to think about what this star of Bethlehem represents. Now, some will say the star of Bethlehem was ac actually Jupiter and Venus coming together and, or Saturn and Venus coming together. And that was that conjunction that was the Bethlehem star. And there, there's lots of suggestions and, and thinking around that. But what we do know is this, is that Matthew 2 tells us that something happened in the night sky some 2000 years ago. And that wise men or magi from the East came to Jerusalem looking for the King, the one who was born King of the Jews they had seen something in the stars. I mean, they were astrologers and astronomers. They knew the night skies, but they also felt like the stars told stories and could tell 
the future and what they could see in the sky. And so they came looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. Now, perhaps they knew the prophecies of Balaam. You may recall um, our good friend Balaam in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, the first part of that verse. Uh, we read this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So there's this prophetic word all the way back in kind of the obscure book of Numbers by a prophet named Balaam about a star that will shine, the hope that will come out of Jacob. And so perhaps this is what the Magi were looking for and, and what they came seeking. But there's something about the night sky. Remember years ago when Shannon and I did camping ministry, we worked at a camp up by Yosemite. And the evenings were spectacular when you could look up in the stars and there was no light pollution and it was simply amazing. And, and if you were in the right place and, and there were no lights from the camp at all, you could literally see the satellites going across the sky. When there were these meteor showers, we would turn off all the major lights at the camp and you could just sit on the field and watch these incredible displays of God's handiwork. There's something about the skies, the sky the stars in the heavens that speak of the glory and the wonder of God. Now, some 3,000 years ago, a shepherd who became a king, whom we know as David, did the same thing. He looked up to the skies and he spoke of the majesty and the wonder of God. It's Psalm 8, which is what we're going to be looking at today as we continue this sermon series on talking about the songs that we sing. Psalm 1 and 2, as we talked about last week, really go together and they talk about the person who is blessed. The person who is blessed is the one who pays attention, who is attentive to God's word and who lets God rule over their lives. Then Psalms 3 through 7 are really Psalms of lament. But the end of Psalm 7 ends with this idea of saying, but I will praise God. And so Psalm 8 is the literal praising of God. And this is what we read as we consider what it is that David has to teach us about our own lives, our understanding of God, and where we fit in the world. Here's what David writes. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is my, mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim in the path, paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So David goes out and looks to the skies and sees the majesty and wonder of God. And it's interesting 
how he describes this creation of God, this work of God. And he talks about God's fingers. And, and I love this idea because what David is doing here is he's, he's, he, he's conjuring up an image of the God who creates the world. Now, if you go back and you look historically at, at the other creation stories of different cultures and different societies, whenever the gods created humankind or whenever the gods helped to create earth, it was always violent. It was destructive. It was chaotic. It was unsightly. But the God of Israel was far different. The God of Israel created with order. If you think about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, part of what those passages are telling us as we read those is that God is a God of order. But David says, I consider the work of your hands. I consider the work of of your fingers. And, and, and this is, this is a personal image. This is the idea of helping us to think about God. I believe as an artist, my wife's an artist. She makes mosaic tiles. She does other art projects. And in order to accomplish those, she must use her hands and her fingers. And David is saying, God, when I look at your creation, I'm amazed at what you have created. You are like a master artist. And if you talk to artists, you talk to them about what it is that they create, or what they have created, you will get a sense that they put a piece of them in everything that they create. That in the works of their fingers, they are, they are putting some of their very selves into that art piece that they are creating, into that project that they are working on. And what I love about this is I think David is saying, God, you have put a little bit of yourself into each and every one of us. It's this idea that we are made in the image of God. But even in all of God's creation, we get to glimpse pieces and get to see somewhat of an understanding of who God is, this God who orders things, this God who brings order out of chaos, this God who creates beauty. And David says, this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. And then he asks this question, God, what is humankind? What are, what are we? He doesn't, it's interesting. He doesn't ask, who are we? He asks, what is mankind? What is humankind that you are mindful of them and that you care for them? That's what's happening in verse four. And, and it's, it's fascinating to think about this because David's basically saying, why would you care about us? But God does care because we are created by him in his image. He is mindful of us. That word for mindful there in verse four, it has to do with the idea of remembering that God remembers us. It's the same word that is used back in Exodus when the people of Israel are enslaved by the Egyptians and they cry out, to be liberated. And we are told that God heard their cry and God remembered his covenant. God was mindful of what he had said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he brought in Moses to liberate them. But not only is God mindful of us, Psalm 8 says, God, that you care for us. And the idea of caring for us has the idea of coming down for us, has the idea of entering into the world for us. It's not caring from afar. God doesn't 
create the world and then just kind of watch from a distance. What David is saying is, God, you've created these vast heavens and yet you still care for us. You still come down for us. David didn't realize exactly what he was writing when he said that there in, in verse four, that, you know, you're mindful of human beings and that you care for them. But it gets fulfilled in, in the gospel of Luke chapter one, verse 68. After the birth of John the Baptist, his father, Zachariah, knows what has happened, that John has been born, knows that the Messiah is coming. And he says this, praise be to the Lord. This is Luke one sixty-eight. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has come to his people. He has come down to his people and redeemed them. God is mindful of us and God cares for us. And God comes down for us. And then as David continues this, I mean, he, he talks about this idea in verse five, we're a little lower than the angels. We've been crowned with glory and honor. And, and, and if you think about what, is that, what does that mean, being crowned with glory and honor, it means we're royalty. Who gets crowned? People who are royal. And who doesn't want royalty? Well, we know Prince Harry and Meghan don't really want to be a part of the royal family. But we like this idea of saying that we belong, that we have royalty, that, that, that we get dignity. Because God has created us. And it's interesting to me that Psalm 8 has a very high view of humanity. Now, a good Calvinist would probably not be super happy with Psalm 8 because Calvinists, you know, we like to start off, and that's with the Reformed faith. It's like we start by talking about how humankind is totally depraved. But if you read through Psalm 8, David, David has this kind of high view of humankind. Yes, we are insignificant in some ways because of God's greatness, but we are so significant that God is mindful of us, that God cares for us, that God crowns us, that God gives us dignity, that we become a part of a, of a royal family, that we are ushered in to royalty. This is the, the thing that blows the mind of David. And not only that, David says, then we are made rulers with God over creation. And that idea there that, that we read about in verse 6 of, of the ruling, it's dominion. And it's important to note, it's dominion, not domination. It's another word of royalty. And, and, it, it, and it has to do with an assignment that is given to us that is not about power or privilege. It's this idea that because God has made us and God has created us and God has designed us, that we get to be a part of the work that God is doing. This is why it's such a high view of humanity. There's this hope for humanity and our vocation is to care for God's creation. Genesis chapter two, verse 15, the Lord God took the man. This is, this is now basically a job description given to Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. That's stewardship language. It's the language that says our task, our calling, the calling of Adam, the calling that is still ours is to tend for creation is to look to 
caring for what it is that God has created for us. We don't walk away from that. We're to care for our environment. We're to care for others. And that's what God says. And it's like to work it and to care for it. And the idea of caring for it here, it's a little different than what we read about earlier. It's the idea of protecting. It's the same word that's used of the Levites as they guard the temple. It's saying that, that we are, that Adam's job, which he failed at, was to keep evil away from God's creation. And yet evil made its way into creation. But for us, we are to work against evil. We are to work in a way that we steward God's creation well. And I want to suggest here that the stewarding of God's creation isn't just about the earth. It's also about the stewarding of relationships with one another. Because if you read this carefully, and if you understand what David is saying here, he's saying we all have dignity. We all are a part of this royalty. So when we look at someone else and think, you don't belong, you don't fit, you don't behave correctly, you don't, and all these reasons, that is not thinking how God created us to think. That's not living how God designed us to live. It is important to see the dignity and royalty of one another. Psalm 133, verses 1 and 2. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And in this image, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. What is this psalm saying? Well, it's talking about the importance of living together in unity. And then it says, how are we to do that? And it, the psalmist brings up the image of Aaron, the first priest. And this idea of the anointing oil being poured on his head and it going down on his beard and it coming and, and flowing over the collar of his robe. And it's saying Aaron was anointed. He was set apart for his work. But what we understand in Psalm 133 is that each of us are anointed. And we have to ask ourselves in the stewarding of relationships, are we treating others as those who have been anointed by God, as those who have been set apart by God? Are we loving and caring for our neighbors? And that is not always easy, my friends, the stewarding of relationships. Because some people are hard to love. And some people we deeply disagree with. And so we have work to do. To care for creation. But also to care for one another. And this weekend we remember the life of Dr. Martin Luther King who 60 plus years ago was calling people to care for each other. Was calling for people of different races and different colors to figure out how to see each other as anointed, as people who live with dignity and honor. And my friends, we still have much work to do in that area. Much work. 
I love this. That, well, I don't remember who said this about Dr. Martin Luther King, but they said he always had a way of preaching himself out of his gloom. Because I think sometimes as we, even we view this high view of, or see this high view of humanity that, that David has, like we can still get to these places where, where life is a struggle and, and life is difficult. And we're not quite sure what to do with that. And I love that phrase that Dr. King was able to preach himself out of the gloom. But Psalm 8 recognizes this. I mean, if you look carefully at this verse 2, which is kind of a weird verse, um, I understand that. It says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. David is saying, there's going to be that which pushes back against the kingdom of God. There's going to be that which pushes back against the glory of God. There is going to be struggle. And he recognizes that. But he says, through the praise of children and infants, there is a stronghold. And, and, it, and if you read through that, I mean, maybe you all understood the completely what that means. But it, it's just this odd idea of what exactly is David writing about here. But what he's writing about is what happens in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is brought in to the city of Jerusalem with the shouts of praise, Hosanna, and the highest glory to God in the highest heaven. And, and he gets brought into Jerusalem. And you may remember Matthew 21. Then he goes to the temple and he sees the, the money changers and he sees the way in which people are being treated. And he says, you are treating my father. You're treating my house as a den of robbers. And he throws over the tables and he tries to right the wrongs. And then we read this in verse 14 through 17. After Jesus has turned the tables over, said, quit making my place, my house, a place, a den of robbers. We read this. The blind and the lame came to him, to Jesus, at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Now, I, I am sure I've seen this before, but I had forgotten. When I think about what happens on that Palm Sunday and Jesus is brought in that grand processional and Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and, and I always think through that that's when the children are praising God and the adults are praising God, which I'm sure is exactly what's happening. But Matthew is fascinating to me because he says, as Jesus is healing the blind and the lame, as he is in the temple courts, those who are sick, those who are outcasts are coming to him to be healed. And not only that, the children are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. In the temple courts, the kids are shouting. The people are being healed. And the chief priests and the religious leaders are saying, they need to stop. And Jesus says, no. They're crying out. They're doing exactly what Psalm 8 verse 2 said was going to happen. Through the praise of children and infants, God establishes his stronghold. And Jesus is saying, God's stronghold has come near. Let the children be. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. 
And so what I think is so helpful in this is that we are seeing that God does care and God does come down. It's the way we preach ourselves out of the gloom sometimes that we experience. Yes, there are strongholds and yes, there are forces that work against the goodness and wonder and grace of God. But we have to remind ourselves that God has come down. You see what Psalm 8 does is it says, even after the fall, God's plan for creation has not been thwarted. That humankind still bears the image of God. That we are crowned. That we are given this royal access. That we have work to do. That we are stewards of God's creation. And we are stewards of relationships. And we do that as those who bear this wonderful image of God. And so what I want you to hear today is don't ever forget that you have been created by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist says. That you are the work, the handiwork of God's fingers. That he has placed something of himself in you. And that you are loved and that you are cherished. And that you also are given the privilege of helping to care for this place where God has put us. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for creating us. forming us in your image. And Lord, we confess that we have not always lived into who you have created us to be. We forget that we are crowned with royalty. We forget that you call us to have dominion. We don't steward your creation. We don't steward our relationships as well as we should. And we recognize that. But God, thank you that your forgiveness is real. Thank you that you have come down. As Zechariah said, God has visited us. So Lord, thank you that you don't sit up in the heavens and completely ignore everything that is going on. Thank you, God, that you are intimately involved in your world and in your creation. And you allow us the great privilege of being a part of that as well. So Lord, may we yield our lives to you. May we live well, and may we honor you with all that we say and do. We ask and pray in Jesus' name.